Today's scripture reading is taken from Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 24. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has born children to your brother Nahor, us his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazel, Pildash, Jitlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Meacah. This is God's word. Thanks, Anna, for reading scripture. Uh, again, well done for, with those names at the end of the passage. 
So good to see you all here. Uh, so encouraging to see more folks gathering on the Lord's Day. Uh, indeed, let me encourage you all to continue to come. And for those of you at home, let me encourage you to also gather. Uh, next week, as you heard, uh, we can all sing legally. And it's been so great being able to meet on level three after the service, to not have to rush off, but to meet and spend some time just getting to know one another, speaking to one another, and connecting with one another. Indeed, that's a big reason why we gather, not just for yourself, but for one another. So that's something that you can't do at home. So let me encourage you, if you're at home watching this, uh, to, do, to come, to gather for the sake of others, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of encouraging your brothers and sisters. Uh, your presence is of great encouragement to the leaders as well as to other brothers and sisters here in this body. So let me encourage us all to continue to meet together as God calls us and commands us to. Well, let me pray for us as we come to His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You indeed for how You have spoken. And Father, we pray that You would speak to us through Your Word this morning. We pray for Your Spirit to open our eyes, help us to behold the beauty and the glory of Christ. Father, we pray that you would draw our hearts to you by faith, and may we find in Jesus true rest, and may we give to him uh, all worship, all devotion, because he has laid down his life for sinners like us. So Father, we pray that you would help us, bless this time we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my favourite fictional books is this one by Kazuo Ishiguro, uh, his Nobel Prize-winning novel, The Remains of the Day. Uh, it's a good book if you, if you like to read fiction. It, oh, sorry, I'm going to spoil the book for you because I'm going to give you the plot. Uh, but anyway, it tells the story of a Mr. Stevens who serves as a butler with Lord Darlington before the Second World War. You know, he's so concerned about dignity and decorum you know, he, he's, he's the perfect butler, just very, very devoted, very, very uh, service-oriented. You know, and he's so concerned about dignity and decorum that he goes by the formal Mr. Stevens throughout the novel. Uh, not once do you ever hear his first name mentioned. And Mr. Stevens is a devoted man with very high standards of service and loyalty, and he is unswervingly faithful to his employer, uh, Lord Darlington. Unfortunately, and here's a bit of a spoiler, unfortunately, as you read the book, you discover that Lord Darlington turns out to be a Nazi sympathizer. And many of the dinners and parties that Mrs. Stevens, as the butler, was responsible for organizing actually turn out to be pro-Nazi meetings. Now, some years later, Mr. Stevens ponders his life and wonders if the many years spent serving Lord Darlington were worthwhile. Musing on a life of missed opportunities, including not marrying the woman he loves, Mr. Stephen comes to the disappointing realisation that he has given his best to a master who was unworthy of receiving such devotion. And he says in the end, or towards the end of the book, I should try to make the best of what remains of my day. So friends, who or what are we giving our best to? And when we look back, or even when we examine our lives here now, as Mr. Stevens does, will we say that it has all been worthwhile? So far in Genesis, we've seen God's faithfulness to Abraham, 
God makes and keeps His covenant. And in Genesis 21, as we heard Yanadi preach from that text last week, uh, when Abraham is 100 years old, God fulfills His promise to, it, to bless him and Sarah with a son. Right? He says in Genesis 21, verses 1 to 3, the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Beloved, God alone is worthy of our complete trust and devotion. Unlike any earthly master, such as Lord Darlington, God will not let us down. And in this passage, God is asking us the very same question that He asked Abraham all those years ago. Will we give God our best because we trust Him to provide for us? Will we give God our best because we trust Him to provide for us? So three points as we work our way through the passage this morning. Number one, faith tested. Number two, faith obeys. Number three, faith rewarded. Faith tested, faith obeys, faith rewarded. So let me begin with verse uh, chapter one, sorry, point one, verses one and two. Some years have passed since the birth of Isaac, and now Isaac is probably a youth. Uh, and it says in verse one, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now the patriarch has experienced God's faithfulness throughout his life, especially in the birth of his son, Isaac. Now, and given all that God has done, will Abraham continue to trust him? You know, my son did his PSLE last year. It was quite funny. Last year when people would ask us, oh, how old is your son? I would say, he's in P6, Army 6. And people would look at us almost as if they were giving us their condolences. You know, say, like, oh, so sorry. <laughs> all the best. You know, we, we don't like exams, do we? You know, uh, recently they announced that they were scrapping exams for uh, P primary school students and secondary students. No, no more mid-year exams. You know, wow, good news of glad tidings. Right? You know, we, we, every time we hear the word exam or test, we, we, you know, being in this culture, we, we don't like it. Right? We, we assume negative things of exams and tests. So when we read about oh, God tested Abraham, we think, oh, that's, that's bad. Right? We, we think God has it in for Abraham. But well, no, God, God doesn't test Abraham to trip him up. God tests our faith for our good, to strengthen our faith. You know, this is not punitive testing. You know, testing, especially through trials, deepens our dependence on God. Testing humbles us by showing how we need God, by how we are relying on His grace. Testing purifies our faith by revealing where, what our hearts really treasure. Testing helps to turn us back to God by exposing the things we often rely on for comfort and security. And, and in those tests, when God removes that source of comfort and security, God is helping us to turn back to Him, to trust in Him alone. And this is why James says in the New Testament, "'Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters.'" When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, testing can also encourage us by showing that our faith is authentic. You know, when, when we're tested and then we respond with trust and obedience, you know, it shows that our faith is not merely theoretical. It's not merely something that we profess with our lips, but something that we truly have in our hearts, that we are really relying on God. And when we respond with trust and obedience, you know, it, it shows that our faith is truly bearing fruit. And that gives us great assurance and comfort as a result. Testing is for our encouragement. You know, notice how the story of Abraham's life is bookended by God calling him to go by faith. You know, in Genesis 12, right, right at the beginning of the account of Abraham's life, God calls Abraham, or Abram as he was known at that time, uh, he calls Abram to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. you know, God calls Abraham to trust in his promises, to make him a great people, to give him a place in the promised land, and to make him a blessing to the nations. And then here in Genesis 22, God again calls Abraham to go by faith. He says in verse 2, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You'll notice the parallels between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. There are a lot of similarities in these opening verses. Uh, the, the, Moses, as he records this, is purposefully showing us the connections between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22. You know, why? Because Moses is making the point, or God is making the point to us in this text, that Abraham's life story starts and ends in faith. And indeed, our lives as God's people begin and end with faith. Right? We don't start by having faith in Christ and then somewhere along the way start trusting in our own works, start trusting in our own efforts to make us uh, acceptable to God. No, we don't do that. We, we continue to depend by faith on the salvation that God has so graciously provided us. We continue to trust in God's promises. At no point in our journey do we rely on ourselves. Not at the start, not at the end. Now, our Christian journey begins when we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and to finish well. In order to finish well, we must keep trusting in Jesus until the end. So do not be ashamed of Christ and the gospel. You know, as Paul reminds us in Romans 1, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right, has faith in God's saving promises. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed beginning and ending in faith, right? from faith to faith. And that's exactly what Abraham's life illustrates for us. We begin and we end in faith, in dependence, absolute dependence, utter dependence on Christ. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham to go by faith and to leave his homeland and family. In Genesis 22, God calls Abraham to go by faith and, in, in, in a sense, to leave his son to give his son Isaac as a burnt offering. You know, beloved, living by faith is 
costly. We must deny ourselves in order to follow God. You'll notice how in verse 2, there's an emphasis on how precious Isaac is to Abraham. This is not an easy sacrifice. He says, your only son, your only son, whom you love, who is so precious and valuable to you, you give him up. Give him up. God is calling Abraham to give him his best, not the remains of the day, not the leftovers, but his best. You know, what's more, Isaac is the child of the promise, right? So, he's the son through whom God will fulfill his promises. So, if Isaac dies, what then will become of God's promises? So, you have a bit of a puzzle here in this command. If, if Isaac is killed, how are God's promises going to be continued? if the heir of those promises is dead. And besides, what kind of God would demand child sacrifice? What kind of God is this? You know, some, like atheist Richard Dawkins, see in this story evidence that God is not good. Well, if, if, if you believe in God, he's not good. And Dawkins says this disgraceful story is an example of child abuse. Well, is it? Well, to understand what God is asking of Abraham, it is helpful to keep these points in mind. God created us for His glory, so all that we are and all that we have belong to Him. We, we owe Him our very lives. And our Creator is worthy of our best. Why? Simply because He made us and we are His. You know, indeed, in Exodus, every firstborn son was to be dedicated to, the, to God and redeemed by the offering of a sacrificial animal. I think that's in Exodus 12. You know, secondly, we, we know from other parts of the Old Testament that God condemns child sacrifice. He, he regards it as an abominable thing practiced by the pagan nations. So, so how are we to understand God's command to Isaac? Well, we know for certain that God is not punishing Abraham. He's not trying to trip Abraham up. You know, as we've said earlier, Verse 1 makes clear that God's command to Abraham is a test for Abraham's good to see if Abraham will trust and obey God. You know, God intends to help, not harm Abraham, to strengthen his faith. Indeed, God is asking Abraham and us this question, will you trust me and give me your best? Will you trust me and give me your best? So will Abraham trust God even to the point of giving up His only beloved Son? How will we respond to God? Will we wholeheartedly worship God and hold nothing back from Him? Will we love the giver more than we love the gifts that He so graciously lavishes on us? Will we believe that God is faithful and His promises will not fail. Beloved, will we give God the best of our time, our talents, our strength, our resources? Will we submit and surrender to God our work, our relationships, and that includes our dating relationships? Will we submit to God our families, our ambitions, 
Will we trust and obey Him with our best? You know, this passage resonates with me because I'm a father with two sons. And and this passage has prompted me to examine uh, what I truly want for them. Especially living in this culture where many parents have dreams and hopes for their children, hopes of success, however we define success. So I've had to ask myself, right? Will, will I sacrifice my two sons on the altar of my desires and dreams for them? Or will I steward them? I don't own them. Will I steward them for God and trusting them to Him and His purposes for them? These are, this is a difficult question. And, and admittedly, I struggle with this all the time. You know, last year, I struggled with this. This year, I'm still struggling with this question. You know, will I trust God with my best? And, and I think oftentimes, we, we say our best will be our children. Will, I, will we trust God even with our kids? You know, if, if God intends for them what we did not desire for them, will we still trust God? And will we gladly entrust our children to Him? Or will we try to live vicariously through our children, seeing them as a means to accomplish our dreams and our plans and our aspirations? Friends, may God search our hearts, especially those of us who are parents living in this culture. Second point, faith obeys. Let's think about how Abraham responds. Verses 3 to 10. We've seen ups and downs in Abraham's journey of faith. Right? You know, there have been times when his faith is strong. You know, he left his family and homeland behind to go to Canaan, the promised land. And he chose to settle in the land, even though other places looked better. You know, he courageously rescued Lot, defeating a stronger army. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? So Abraham, a man of faith. Yet there have also been times when Abraham has struggled with faithlessness. Out of fear, as we heard last week, he lied about Sarah, not once but twice. He lied about Sarah being his sister rather than his wife. Abraham slept with his wife's servant because he doubted God would keep his word. Therefore, the test is for Abraham's benefit. It's not because God is ignorant about Abraham. No, God is all-wise and all-knowing. God sees Abraham's heart, he knows where Abraham is at. But rather, this test is designed to show how Abraham has matured spiritually. It's it's for Abraham's encouragement. It it fills in a gap in Abraham's faith. Similarly, when God tests us, He is giving us an opportunity to show our faith by our obedience. This is to encourage and assure us. So how did Abraham fare in the test? Verses 3 and 4. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. You know, see how Abraham's faith has grown. He trusts and obeys God. And I think what's striking in these two verses is how Abraham obeys. You see how Abraham obeys humbly? You know, he doesn't say a word. Not one word. 
He doesn't doubt or debate with God. He simply takes practical steps to keep God's Word. And this is all the more remarkable given how perplexing God's command would have been. Yet Abraham obeys without delay, rising early in the morning. He obeys intentionally, preparing for the journey. You know, he doesn't just say, yes, Lord, I obey, and then does nothing. Right? He takes steps, active steps, to carry out God's command. That's intentional. He obeys steadfastly. You know, it, it took three days to travel to God's appointed mountain in the land of Moriah. You imagine, three days. You know, what was going through Abraham's mind in those three days as he got nearer and nearer to the place where he would kill his son. What do you think was going through his mind? You know, three days would have provided ample opportunity for Abraham to turn back. And yet he didn't. Three agonizing days with all the temptation to turn back, and Abraham steadfastly obeyed. You know, beloved, Abraham shows us what it means for us to obey God. Genuine obedience is humble, it's immediate. It's intentional. Right? It, it, it leads to real action. And genuine obedience is steadfast. Uh, James in the New Testament says that Abraham showed his faith by his faithfulness to obey God. We show our faith by our faithfulness to trust God and to walk in His ways. You know, beloved, true saving faith will produce the good fruit of obedience. Now, just as fruit shows a tree is alive and healthy, so when we obey God, it shows that our faith is not theory, but it is living and well. True faith would show itself in a transformed life. It produces fruit. So, beloved, if, if we profess to believe in Jesus, then the basic question to ask is, do we obey Him? Do we obey Him? When He calls us to come together, do we obey Him? When He calls us to live differently from the world, do we obey Him? You know, see how Abraham grows stronger in faith over the years. You know, this is so encouraging uh, to us. You know, see how Abraham progressed in his faith through the struggles, through the ups and downs. Now, we can take heart as well. Our faith may be weak, and inconsistent now, but know that God is committed to growing us just as He strengthened Abraham's faith. Now, Abraham obeyed because he trusted God. And you know, what specifically did Abraham believe about God? You know, it wasn't just a, a, a general kind of amorphous faith. Yes, I believe, whatever. You know, but, but Abraham's faith had definite truth content. What did Abraham believe specifically? Now listen to what Abraham says to his servants. Uh, in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and listen to this, and come again to you. What's Abraham saying? He says, we will return. The boy and I will return. And was this a lie? You know, was he trying to just fob off his servants? Was this just wishful, wishful thinking? on Abraham's part? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think we can take Abraham's words at face value. He genuinely believed 
that he and Isaac would return after the sacrifice. You know, listen, to, listen also to Abraham's words to Isaac as the two of them are walking towards the place of sacrifice. It's a poignant moment. Isaac, the intended sacrifice, carries the very wood that will be set ablaze and kill him. Right? It's so, you know, in some ways, it's, it's, it's tragically ironic. Abraham, the father, is the very one who carries the fire and the knife, the instruments that will deal death to his beloved son. Then in this poignant moment, Isaac innocently turns to his father and asks, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And we seem to have everything else, but where's the lamb? Abraham replies, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. God will provide. Abraham trusts two things, really. God will provide a sacrifice and God will raise the dead. You know, that, that's there's definite content to what Abraham believes in. I believe God will provide a sacrifice. I believe God will raise the dead. No, is, is Abraham's faith too far-fetched? Not at all, because if you think about Abraham's life, he has already experienced the power of God's resurrection. He has already experienced God's resurrection power. Listen to what Romans 4 19 says about Abraham. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You know, so reproductively speaking, Abraham and Sarah were dead. There was no hope of them ever having a child of their own. But to all intents and purposes, they were dead. They, they couldn't fulfill any of God's promises themselves. Isaac's conception and birth was a miracle of God giving life to the dead. So you can see the way Abraham is reasoning these things out. Right? You know, if, if God has already raised the dead, then surely he can do it again. Abraham trusts God to keep his covenant promises even if it involves raising the dead, even if it has to involve Isaac's resurrection. So he can offer the promised child to God, confident that God can raise the dead to fulfill his word. And indeed, this is how Hebrews describes Abraham's faith, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. Why would, Isaac, why would Abraham offer up his only son, who would be the child of the promise? And Hebrews explains, he considered that God was able to even, even to raise him from the dead. That, that's really the, the key explanation. Abraham considered that God was able even to, to raise Isaac from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, faith leads to action. Right? You see, Abraham doesn't just believe and, and does nothing, but, but he believes and he takes up the knife. He believes and he's going to plunge the knife into his son. Verse 10, to slaughter his son. 
Abraham obeys because he knows and trusts God. And beloved, we must see God's commands in the light of His promises and provision. Otherwise, when we hear God's commands, it, it will come across to us as just unreasonable, as harsh, as overly demanding. You know, God, God you're this perfectionist. You expect me to just give you everything. It doesn't sound very fair. No, but when, we, but when we understand God's command in the light of what He provides, in the light of what He promises, then we begin to understand His commands as gracious, as loving we respond to His commands very differently if we, if we see His commands in the context of His grace. And that's exactly how Abraham is understanding God's command. And that's why he sees God's call to give him his all, his son, not as unreasonable as, and harsh, but as something that even this is, is God's mercy somehow. It, Abraham obeys God because he knows God. Now, if, if we truly know God's grace, we will joyfully offer ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice. All right, so it says in Romans 12, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him. It's by His mercies. By His mercies. That's how we understand his commands, that's how we understand obedience. Now, we've been focusing on Abraham, but see also here in this passage, Isaac's humble submission to his father's will. Now, Isaac is probably a youth, so he's strong enough to fight off his father. You know, he, he could have resisted Abraham. He could have said, hey, what, what are you doing? You know, don't tie me up. You know, fathers don't kill their own children. You know, and yet he lets Abraham bind him. I think that's an interesting detail of the text. You know, why, why did Abraham have to bind his son? No, but but Abraham, he lets, Isaac lets Abraham bind him. And throughout this whole process, Isaac is silent. You know, like, a, like a lamb before his shearers is silent. And Isaac lets himself be laid on the altar. So both Abraham and Isaac were willing to give God their best because they trusted God to provide. So will we also give God our best because we trust Him? Because we trust Him. Faith obeys God. Finally, faith rewarded. Looking at verses 11 to 19. So just as Abraham raises the knife to kill Isaac, the angel of the Lord calls to him to stop. Right? Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. You know, Abraham walks the talk, as we've seen. His obedience shows that his faith is real. The angel of the Lord says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. You know, fearing God means trusting and obeying Him, even if it means giving Him our best as a sacrifice of worship. You know, and just as Abraham had said, God mercifully and miraculously provides a sacrificial offering at the right time and at the right place. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, surprise, surprise, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
And figuratively speaking, Isaac is resurrected. He comes back from the dead thanks to God's mercy in providing a substitute to die in Isaac's place. And, And Abraham realizes this, and that's why in verse 14 it says, So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. That's a key point in our passage. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And God rewards Abraham's faith by assuring him of the certainty of his promises. Verses 17 to 18. You'll notice how God inserts the word surely in his promises. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And what's more, God dispels any doubt by guaranteeing the promises with an oath. God didn't need to do that. Surely just a promise from God is enough. But God goes over the top. He goes over far above what is required. He confirms his promises with an oath. Verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. This is confirmed plus chalk. Very, very certain. Sure thing one. This is how Hebrews describes what God is doing here. Hebrews 6, 17 to 18. When God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, what are the two unchangeable things? God's promise and the oath confirming that promise. Right? Double confirmed. Right? The promise and the oath. By these two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, that's us, beloved, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Isn't this wonderful? Because of Abraham's obedience, we can be assured of hope. You know, our assurance doesn't ultimately depend on our obedience. Our, our assurance depends on the obedience of, of Abraham, how he was faithful, how he trusted God. And because he trusted God, God confirmed his promises of salvation and these promises give us hope. Friends, we have an anchor for our lives, one that doesn't depend on ourselves, one that doesn't depend on our circumstances. But this anchor depends on God's grace and the faithfulness of Abraham. Although we live in an uncertain world of rising prices, of wars and pandemics, we have this unshakable hope that God will bless the world through Abraham's offspring. That's our hope. Abraham offered his only son, Isaac, whom he loved, and he gave God his best because he trusted God to provide. And indeed, God has provided. God has provided. And God has kept His promises 
How? By giving His Son. By giving His only beloved Son whom He loves, Jesus, to save sinners, as we heard at the beginning of the service. For God so loved the world, He loved the world in this way. He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Abraham said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The mount of the Lord is Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And later on, as you read the Old Testament, this is where the temple will be built. In 2 Chronicles 3, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the very site on which Abraham had offered Isaac as a sacrifice. The temple was a place where the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices took place. So when Abraham says, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, Abraham is saying, in this very place, God will provide a sacrifice. God himself will provide a sacrifice. The animal sacrifices of the temple could not cleanse the guilt of sin, but they pointed forward to the one who can. God himself will provide the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You know, God made us for his glory, but because we have forsaken him, we deserve his judgment against us. But praise God that in His grace and mercy, God sent His Son to be our substitute. You know, like the ram that took Isaac's place on the altar, Jesus laid down His life for undeserving sinners like us so that we can be forgiven and brought back to God if we trust in Christ alone to save us. Jesus is Abraham's promised offspring who blesses the nations, who blesses Gentiles like us by bearing the curse of sin. He he became a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And like Isaac, Jesus humbly submitted to His Father's will by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like a lamb led to the slaughter Jesus willingly carried his own cross up the mount of crucifixion. Like Isaac carrying the wood that would burn him up, Jesus carried the cross on which he would be nailed. Isaac was figuratively resurrected. Jesus truly rose from the dead in victory over sin and death. And God indeed has kept his promises by raising his son, to continue the promises of the covenant, God has raised His Son from the dead. Abraham looked forward by faith, trusting that God would provide a sacrifice and raise the dead. You know, beloved, do we realize that we are in a far better position than Abraham? We live in an age of fulfillment. We look back on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. Abraham looked forward. We can look to Jesus who has already come who has fulfilled God's promises through His death and resurrection. We have the greatest evidence that this God is for us. He's given us His Son. In the remains of the day, Mr. Stevens devoted much of his life 
serving a Lord who turned out to be a disappointment. Beloved, I pray that it may not be so with us. May we not look back with disappointment, wondering if we, had, we have spent our lives serving a Lord who, did not, who was not worthy of our devotion. But beloved, God will never fail us. God will never disappoint us. And how can we be sure? Beloved, see how deep the Father's love for us, as the song goes, how vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make wretches like us His treasure. Giving God our best is not just about saying no to ourselves. Giving God our best is about saying yes to the Father, yes to His Son because of their lavish love and grace for us. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Beloved, God has already given us His best. Will we trust God to provide and give Him our best? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you and praise you indeed for how you have lavished such amazing grace upon us. Father, you did not spare your son, but you graciously delivered him up for us all that through him we might have life, that through him we might have joy and peace and the forgiveness of sins and the hope of an eternity spent with you. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you sacrificed your only son, your beloved son, in order to bring back the unworthy. So Father, help us to remember what you have given to us and may we give you our best because you have been so generous to us. Move in our hearts, we pray. Strengthen us and help us. Help us to see your goodness and your grace that we might gladly give ourselves to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.